We invite you to stay tuned for the program, Revelation Chronicles, featuring Dr. W.A. Dillard. Dr. Dillard expounds on the book of Revelation and other messages. Dr. Dillard is an author, writer, retired pastor, teacher, and theologian. He is also a past president of the American Baptist Association. Now here is Dr. Dillard. We are embarking upon a marvelous study of the book of Revelation. What a wonderful thing is God's word. It has much to tell us. And as the age draws closer to a close, we become more interested in what it has to tell us. It's a highly fascinating book, but it's also difficult to interpret. It's the, um, it's the end, it's the culmination of millenniums of time and experience of God working with man and man's relationship with God. Lots of prophecies to take into consideration. And consequently, every little bit of Bible knowledge that you can learn will be important and hopeful in your understanding of this marvelous book. Well, <clears throat> uh, as we approach Revelation, we realize that there are many interpretations often of the same passage of scripture. And uh, many of those interpretations may seem feasible, but more than one interpretation may be preferred as being correct, <clears throat> or perhaps all of them may be wrong. And so we have much study and preparation to do. It is certain, however, that no prophecy is of any private interpretation. That's exactly what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 emphasizes to us. So opinions, well, they must be understood for what they are, opinions. And that's that. So as a result of these things, a question may arise as to whether the study into this book is really worthwhile. Well, the answer is not only yes, it's a definite yes. And sadly enough, I have uh, conversed with a number of preachers over the years who have said, I will not touch the book of Revelation. I will not go there. I don't understand that book. Well, <clears throat> there's a lot about it that is not really clear to us, especially initially. But I will tell you that the more you study the book of Revelation, the more you will learn about it, and the more it will become clear to you. And it's God's will that we know these things, and that's why it's in the book. So it, is, it appears to me that uh, human discouragement lies in uh, the enormous tendency that we have to speculate about details not given. And so we disagree about those things, and then we become discouraged about it all. 
but revelation is understandable as to the general events of the future. Much detail is simply not given, and it isn't all that important that we have it. But in preparation for the study of Revelation, as we embark upon it, it just seems appropriate to think first about that magnificent intelligence of God. And we really are limited in grasping that. But to think about him and the fact that he does everything, everything, in good, perfect order. So <clears throat> mathematics is one of the chief tools of order and uh, is seen in every phrase of the universe. I recall listening to a renowned uh, astrophysicist in England by the name of Hawkins and uh, he was suffering from MS, but was still able to communicate at the time. And somebody asked him if he really believed in creation. And he said, if it is true that God created the heavens and the earth, he did so by mathematical understanding and operations that we have yet to be introduced to. Well, maybe that's just one way of saying what I want to say to you, and that is God is really a mathematical God, and he uses it very much so. Now, note in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 here. It speaks of God this way, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Wow, just think about that for a moment. The psalmist David recorded in Psalm 111:2, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. What a God he is. The significance of various mathematical numbers then becomes obvious to us as we study the scriptures more and more. For instance, in the initial digits, the significance of number one, it is associated with God and the unity of God in purpose and in office and in every respect. The number two, as we observe it throughout the scriptures, speaks of division, of alternative of another choice, of evil, if you please, some difference to what is uh, presented to us by the number one. Number three, solid, substantial, 
the Trinity in divine perfection. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But when we get to number four, well, that's three, everything about three plus one. But what is there in addition to God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Oh, it is what he did, his creation. Okay, and so number four, as we observe that number throughout our studies of the scripture, will point us to creation or that which is created. Number five, almost always is the number of grace. And we see grace associated with that number in many verses of scripture and in many ways. Number six is peculiarly the number of man. It indicates imperfection. It's in addition to number five, but it's also a subtraction from seven. And that's the number of man. On the sixth day, he was created. Number seven is the number of spiritual perfection and divine completion. Number eight indicates superabundance to make fat. And it's the first number that uh, can be cubed. Two plus two or two times two times two equals eight. Number nine is the last of the single digits, and it indicates the end and is associated with the idea of judgment. Number 10 is a perfection number and speaks of a new order. Number 11 is like six, disorder and imperfection. Number 12 is the number of governmental perfection and so underscored in the scriptures. Well, we could go on a little further, but that's the uh, general gist of the importance of numbers in the scriptures. And if we do not pay attention to that, we will go awry. Okay, <clears throat> now we see those numbers uh, as they apply to creation in a number of ways. In outside plants, the way the, the little limb shoots and leaves a spiral around the stem of the plant, um, the fifth one stands over the first one. On the inside plants, the number three is predominant in how that works. And uh, leaf designs and the number of trees uh, can be observed in the apple tree Every fifth one stands over the first one. And in the oak tree, every fourth one stands over the first one. And in the peach tree, every sixth one stands over the first one. And we marvel at the consistency of mathematics and the various forms of creation. Well, we see that in, uh, in gestation as well. When in the, in the reproduction of life, the mouse takes 21 days, three times seven, the number of completion. 
In dogs, it is 63 days or nine times seven. In the cat, it is 56 days, eight times seven. In the lion, it is 98 days, 14 times seven. In the sheep, it is 147 days, 21 times seven. In the hen, it is 21 days, three times seven. In the duck, it is 28 days, four times seven. In human beings, it is 280 days, or 40 times seven. God created with mathematical order. We need to have an appreciation of that if we're going to have an appreciation of the book of Revelation. So I want to turn to something else. And at this point, you may be saying, I thought we were going to study Revelation. Uh, we are. And even though we cannot get a complete Bible background for this study in the, in the few things I mentioned here, I do want to emphasize that the more you know about the Old Testament, the, no, the more you know about the various uh, doctrinal tenets of the New Testament, the more you will be able to understand and appreciate the marvelous prophetical book of Revelation. I want to briefly mention the importance of numbers in chronology. Now, to appreciate chronology, that is the study of time, we have to definitely consider that there's a different way of counting time. That is, there is cardinal time, which is the workings of uh, a timepiece, a clock or a watch, or uh, certainly uh, the continuity of the calendar. And we account time, cardinal time in that way. But there's also ordinal time that we use in the business world and in many parts of our society, and which uh, is used in the Bible and recognized, and that is how long it takes you to do a certain thing whenever you're investing time in a project. I use this illustration. A man wants to build a house and he says, I'm going to do it myself. So he can only work on evenings and perhaps weekends. And uh, so as a result of that, it takes him a year to build a house. But later on, after he's in the house, somebody compliments him on it. He said, so what a nice house. How long did it take you to build this house? He said, well, it took me all year to get this house built. And not uh, long afterwards, somebody comes by and says, oh, I love your house. How long did it take you to build? He said, three months. And somebody said, wait just a minute. How could you say it took you three months to build your house when you told me it took a year? Well, it did take a year of cardinal time, but in the time invested in the construction of the house, it was three months. And so cardinal time is one thing, ordinal time is another thing. Now man's number in relationship to the earth is uh, the, that of a created being. 
and uh, since man sometimes is lumped in with the creation of the earth or the other things, that number would be four. And that's important right now in what we will see. God deals with his people. He deals with his people in four periods of time before a new order is established. Now, these four periods are 490 years, each one, 490 years, are 70 times seven years. So let's look at that. Now, it begins with the birth of Abraham. Well, why does it begin there whenever there was much time uh, beyond uh, Abraham back there? That's true. From Adam to the Noahic flood was 1,656 years. It was approximately 500 years after the flood that uh, uh, Abraham's life. Uh, is noted. So uh, what about that, say, 2,000 years? 2,000 years are approximately that from Adam to uh, Abraham. Well, that's obviously a uh, dispensation of time that is experimental. What will man do largely left to himself? And it was proven that man created a global ecumenical movement that resulted in his following the dictates of his sinful flesh, drowning himself in sensuality, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage over and over and over again until there were uh, genetic breakdowns, monstrosities upon the earth as God saw them in Genesis chapter six. And we realize that the Bible teaches us that from Adam to Moses, there was no law, yet death reigned because sin was present. And so it became evident through that ecumenical movement, not only that God had to destroy the earth, but it would have seemed that uh, with Noah and his family, uh, they would uh, teach their children correctly and, and uh, the grandchildren and so on, and so things would be different. Not so because as soon as the people multiplied on the face of the earth again, they were found building a tower to heaven to defy any kind of catastrophe that might uh, befall them. God came down, he saw that, it displeased him. God's never pleased with ecumenism, no. And so as a result of that, God created languages at an instant and people were segregated according to the language they could understand. That put a stop to the Tower of Babel. And in the days of Peleg, there was continental shifts. The earth was divided. 
And uh, so uh, people wound up in various places on the globe. But it was obvious that if there was going to be any difference in the human family, that is, if there would be anyone who would obey God, who would promote God's teachings and uh, be obedient to his creator, that God would have to do something more than simply leave man to himself. And that is the significance of the calling out of Abraham, the beginning of great covenantal work of God with his people. Now then, we learn by study that there are four periods of time, four is creation and four is man's number as a part of creation. Four periods of time of God working with his special people to bring in the new millennial order that we're all looking forward to even at this point in time. What is the first period? The period is from the birth of Abraham to the Exodus. Now, Abraham was 75 years old, according to Genesis 12, 4, uh, when God gave him the great promise. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob was born. And Jacob was 130 years old when he and 69 others, 70 of them, entered into Egypt uh, because of the great famine, according to Genesis 47, verse 8 and 9. So that tells us that the total time from the promise to the entering in of Egypt was 215 years. And the total time from the promise to the Exodus was 430 years. So that means that Israel was actually in Egypt 215 years, but 430 years from the promise to the Exodus was 430 years, and we're looking for 490 years, but the age of Abraham when he received the promise was 75 years old, that's 505 years, and from that, we subtract 15 years in which Abraham had defied God and sought to make Ishmael an illegitimate son that he fathered by an Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, to be the heir of God's promises. God withdrew during that 15 years and would have none of it. The promise that God made would be to the son of Abraham and of Sarah, a son of promise, which indeed he was by the time they, uh, uh, by the time they delivered him into the world because of their great age. Well, 490 years, 70 times seven. Now there's another period of time here that we're going to uh, look at. 
and that is from the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt to the dedication of the temple. Again, we'll have to pay attention to the difference between cardinal and ordinal time. All right. <clears throat> now we want to think in terms of how much of that time went by. Israel was in wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years. They were under judges for 450 years. They were under the uh, kingship of Saul for 40 years. They were under the kingship of David 40 years and under the kingship of Solomon for three years uh, when the uh, uh, temple work began. So, well, that's a lot of years, 573 years. We just rattled off right there. Okay, but consider the ordinal time again and the cardinal time. God withdraws from Israel because of their sin and allowed Gentile nations to rule them. They were under Cushion for eight years, according to Judges chapter 3, verse 8. They were under Eglon in Judges 3.14 for 18 years. They were under Jabin, Judges uh, 4.3, 20 years. They were under the Midianites, Judges 6.1, for seven years. They were under the Philistines, Judges 13.1, for 40 years. That's a lot of years, 93 years to be exact. And so 573 minus 93 leaves exactly 480 years. Well, so how do we get the 490? Well, 480 years to the beginning of the construction of the temple. That's what we were counting. Now, the temple was under construction seven years, and three years more were given to the elaborate furnishings of the temple. Whenever we got ready to dedicate the temple, it was 490 years from the exodus from Egypt to the dedication of the temple. Now let's look at period number three. This would be from the dedication of the temple to the return of Nehemiah from Babylonian captivity to rebuild Jerusalem. Now the actual cardinal time from the dedication of the temple until Nehemiah's return was 560 years that the calendar ticked off. Well, but they were in Babylonian captivity 70 years because of their sins. And God had allowed that to happen to them. We have to subtract then that 70 years from the 560 calendar years, and it comes back to 490 years. Friends, this is not just an accident. 
This is a pattern and we see it. The fourth period perhaps gives us a little more difficulty, but a little more joy too. Period number four is the return of Nehemiah from Babylonian captivity to the second coming of Christ. Wow. Uh-oh, you say you've blown it there, preacher. It's been way, way, way too many years. Hang on. I told you we're making a difference between cardinal time and ordinal time. So what we find here is uh, looking at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, that 70 weeks are determined upon the people of God to uh, bring an end to things and to bring in a new order, everlasting righteousness and so on. But he tells us that Messiah, so many weeks to Messiah, and Messiah is going to be cut off, not for uh, himself, but for the people. And uh, so what happens? In 69 of those weeks, weeks of years, 69 times 7, be 483 years. You can calculate that according to the scriptures. It's there. So, 483 years, but that's seven years short of the 490 we're looking for. But when Israel rejected God's son, whenever Jesus was crucified on the cross for us, he withdrew from that people. He said, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And God has not moved himself or set his hand to work with national Israel in all these remaining years. So there have been nearly 2,000 years in which God has been withdrawn. But we look for seven more years to complete this last period of 490 years. Those are what the Bible teaches us is the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, and all that will transpire culminating in the battle of Armageddon. Then we will see the returning king and 490 years of his having worked with his people in the fourth period of creative time. Isn't it wonderful, marvelous, how all of this is presented in the Bible, and yet it is encrouched, it is encased, encapsulated in marvelous things that uh, the nominal reader never sees. It's there for the student of the word. And my friends, we're going to have to be students of the word to arrive at an appreciation of revelation. 
Well, what a wonderful, wonderful study we're embarking upon. And I hope this background, just if nothing else, awakens you to the fact that there's so much more than just meets the eye with casual observation. And so we get into the depths of God's word as much as we can by his divine help to be able to explain things, not only for our own satisfaction, but for the joy and education of others that will bring them happiness and excited anticipation about what God has done, what he is doing and what he's going to do in the immediate future because it is ours to live in the last of the last days of this present age. Wow. So we will take up in the next part of the study with chapter one of Revelation. God bless you as you prepare for this study. You have been listening to Revelation Chronicles, featuring the teaching ministry of Dr. W.A. Dillard. Dr. Dillard has written several books, articles, and outlines on the study of the book of Revelation and other studies. A copy may be obtained by emailing us at imbr at imbmpodcast.com. That's imbr at imbmpodcast.com. Or you may write to us at International Missionary Baptist Radio, Post Office Box 1676, Smyrna, Tennessee, 37167. That's International Missionary Baptist Radio, Post Office Box 1676, Smyrna, Tennessee, 37167. There is no charge for any of these materials. We would love to hear from you. Please tune in again at this same time for another Revelation Chronicles. And we pray that you will have a very blessed day.